Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. We're joined by our panel to discuss some of the stories in this morning's newspapers, a look back and a look ahead to the weeks uh, in in hand. Who better than the three people uh, who've uh, life's work wrapped up in newspapers? So, after writing and reading newspapers all week, they've given up their sunny Sunday morning to go through the papers. It's a great pleasure to welcome the man I tried hard to get him as one of Enda Kenny's 11 senators, Stephen Collins, uh, Irish Times former political editor and political columnist. I did try for you, Stephen. You tried to embarrass me, Ivan. That's what you tried to do. But anyway, and you didn't succeed in either embarrassing me or persuading Enda Kenny to give me a senator. Uh, alongside him, we have another veteran wise man. I can remember the day when I was chairman of the Joint Directors Committee on Small Business back in the 80s and he turned up to a press conference representing no less the Financial Times, went on to be all sorts of group and business editors with the INM, business columnist now with the Irish Independent, Brendan Keenan. You're looking remarkably well for a man of your age. Uh, That's very kind of you, but as you say, I saw success coming. (laughs) He's the man to watch (laughs) way back then. And it's a great pleasure to welcome uh, political editor of uh, the Times edition in Ireland, Neve Lyons. Neve, formerly of this parish, I might add. Uh, the hard copy going well? Yes, going great so far. Thank you, Ivan. Um, flying off the shelves. Okay. Still only one euro, actually, for the uh, moment. Indeed. Introductory offer. Absolutely. Oh, it's only an introduction. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it's, very good. Yeah. It's a hello offer. Let's go to the front page of the Sunday Independent. Well, of course, the big talking story is the appointment to the Court of Appeal, the former AG Maura Whelan. Uh, Micheál Martin upping the ante and the lead in the Sunday Independent. Martin wants ex-AG's head, FF leader, judiciary undermined. Uh, then the mail on Sunday goes with the same. FF turns screw on Vragger in AG Row. Whelan should consider position on promotion, says Micheál Martin. The Sunday Business Post goes with exclusive. Central Bank probes stockbroker Davy over Anglo bond sale. A multi-million euro settlement made with Golden Circle developer. Uh, developer. They have former HSE boss Ber- um, Brendan Drum saying health service plan. This was from the Oireachtas Committee. Lacks credibility. And the Sunday Times and others have on their front page... Callanan admits briefing against whistleblower. This is uh, what the ex-Garda Commissioner told Shatter about the abuse case relating to the false allegations against Morris McCabe. And uh, in terms of housing, an issue we focus on this programme, the help to buy scheme facing the axe. Uh, Leo made mutterings about this during the leadership hustings. It now seems that uh, the scheme might be axed by the new housing minister. Well, let's turn first of all, to that story. Um, Stephen Collins, before I come to you and your sense of how far Fianna Fáil will push this, surely on the substance of the issue, it, 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 it is somewhat reminiscent of November, October 1994, when Albert Reynolds tried to appoint Harry Whelan president to the High Court. That resulted in the spectacular disappearance of that government. It's transpired that, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Judicial Advisory Board here. 
they advise in terms of if a solicitor or a barrister wants to become a circuit or high court judge, they adjudicate on that. But in this particular case, in terms of the court of appeal, where it's a promotional position, the procedure is you don't write to the JAAB, you write to the Attorney General. So, Garrett Sheehan retired as an appeal court judge in March. She, uh, Maura Whelan, was a member of this board. Um, They came up with no recommendation to fill the post. She receives these letters. She now allows a position whereby on Tuesday the Minister for Justice brings a memo to Cabinet with one recommendation. She doesn't uh, tell anyone at Cabinet uh, that there are actually three applicants de facto for the post because they've written in to her. She doesn't recuse herself from the meeting. Surely, by any yardstick of someone with no judicial experience, that Maura Whelan is chancing her arm here. That Maura Whelan, leaving aside whether Enda Kenny, you know, threw this hand grenade into Leo's lap, leaving aside the fact of anything else, purely on a point of personal integrity, I put it to you that Maura Whelan should reflect this weekend on her own ambitions. You sound like a barrister in a court there, putting it to me. <laughs> well, I, I have some I, exhibits I, here which I'll come to later. I am not sure. That whole sequence of events, I'm not clear what happened, how it came about, uh, but clearly uh, the Attorney General, uh, the name went to Cabinet, and there are parallels with the uh, with the position that happened back when Harry Whelan was President of the High Court. It had been a tradition in Irish, uh, in, in appointments, that the Attorney General had a first call on High Court, Supreme Court uh, positions, but that th- that ha- the procedures have changed, and we we have the situation. And I would like to know for a fact: is it the case that, that there were three other judges who expressed this view, and is it the case that Maura Whelan didn't inform her colleagues about that? Uh, certainly, I, I I don't want to be commenting well, about the, okay, her. If sorry, that was confirmed. confirmed, if that was confirmed. if it's going to be whatever way you look at it, and just looking at the pure politics of it, and that's all I'm going to do because you have all sorts of shouting uh, coming from diff- different sides on this. It's, this is a very very serious issue for, and it's Leo Varadkar getting thrown a very tough one straight on t- he's taken over his t-shirt and he's now finding out what it's like this issue I'm sure he uh, hardly crossed his ken but he was at the cabinet meeting uh, and the decision was made while he was there uh, a difference from going back to the old uh, Harry Whelan issue was the Labour ministers walked out of that cabinet meeting uh, and, and they brought Albert Reynolds down because they refused to accept the appointment of Harry Whelan they left the meeting Fianna Fáil went ahead and appointed Harry Whelan and then Fianna Fáil through various contortions had to persuade Harry Whelan to step down this time round the uh, independent ministers Shane Ross in particular were at the cabinet meeting we don't know because of cabinet confidentiality did they say anything Uh, did Shane Ross say anything but they didn't walk out they didn't object at the time Uh, Shane Ross is objecting now so we have two we have two uh, issues really on, on the political side of it what will Fianna Fáil do? Will Fianna Fáil push, push this to the issue and withdraw their support from the government? If they do, we're into a general election. Will Shane Ross uh, threaten, will he threaten and withdraw from Cabinet? He's saying he wants to raise further issues. So I think we are into a political mess uh, and we've Leo Varadkar, how Leo Varadkar is going to handle it. And we've also, as Maura Whelan, how is she going to respond to all of this? I have no idea how she's going to respond. One of the, th- the things that I was mentioning earlier, the ministers who served Maura Whelan in government have a high regard for her. Mm. I think this is one of the reasons this appointment went through. They, she she was Attorney General for six years. Uh, she didn't. There were, there were mistakes from time to time, 
but they regarded her as somebody who helped them uh, to run the country uh, and they ran the country reasonably well over that six years so that I think is the background to, as to why they went along with it but there are huge questions and it has the capacity to bring the government down I don't think it will uh, but it has the capacity also to uh, have changes at, uh, at judicial level OK and, and, and a number of things uh, there Neve Lyons it, uh, let's just pick just the Shane Ross strand okay. of this for one second I mean I, I just I just can't get over how stupid I mean for a guy who's who's raised the issue of judicial appointments which actually mother of three Atala is probably not that concerned about with he put this as a sort of uh, a major major aspect of a sort of core value mm. for him uh, he he up to last October he vetoed every judicial appointment as cabinet that he allowed a situation whereby in the very same cabinet minute last week, Step Aside is the only Garda station in the entire country that is now going to be reopened. What sort of clown is Ross? Well, did you ever bring anything to cabinet under the arm, as they call it, without informing the rest of your colleagues? Well, only Justice and Tisha can do that. My, my yeah. understanding is whether it's an uh, legislation or a, a cabinet memo, everyone has to submit by the previous Friday to the Secretary of the Government in the Department of the Taoiseach anything that you want to get on the cabinet agenda. No one else can do that. So this went in under the arm and that's something that you do when you want to... I Chance think, your arm? But, well, I think actually bounce people into voting for something that they may not fully either understand or know about in advance. Obviously, because of collective cabinet responsibility, people have to act together. Um, I think uh, we, we know a, a few people have come out now. Regina Doherty, um, who's uh, Social Protection Minister. Richard Bruton, who's Education Minister. A lot of these ministers said they didn't know that this was on the agenda. Dennis Nocton has had, said the same thing. I'd like to know who did know this was on the agenda. And I suspect Shane Ross is one of them. And perhaps Leo Varadkar is one of them. Because for the third time today, he's quoted in the newspapers defending this appointment. Um, and it seems unusual um, that he's kind of doubling down and tripling down on this, given the fact that um, it it is threatening to drag the most senior members of the judiciary into this political mess. I mean, the the the, the Chief Justice, Susan Denham, sits on, on the Judicial Appointments Board. Um, normally, uh, anybody, and the current makeup of the Court of Appeal is all High Court, ex-High Court judges, apart from one, a Circuit Court judge. Um, so, you know, we, we don't actually know whether Maura Whelan did or didn't step out of the room when this was being discussed. Well, I think but we know we, she didn't. I... I I, we're, we're assuming she didn't, but it's very difficult to get questions out of the Attorney General's or into or, or back from the Attorney General's office. The other thing we don't know is whether or not she made Cabinet aware of the fact um, that there are three other High Court ju- judges that had expressed to her their interest in this job. And to her. Mm. They didn't express it to the Secretary of the Department of Justice, the Secretary of the Government, or to the Judicial Advisory Board. They expressed it to her. Yeah. And where Leo Varadkar and Shane Ross come into this, I suppose if Shane Ross was allowing this to be a quid pro quo over step aside we read in the Sunday Times today um, that crime actually went down in that area since the closure in 2013 uh, of step aside guard the station a story by Mark Tig. Um the the other issue with uh, Leo Varadkar is why were the political antennae not buzzing there I mean he must have been watching everything that was happening at that last cabinet meeting knowing that he was about to be in control of every single decision that had been taken and kind of saying you know anything that happens here is my baby from now on I'm going to need to make sure that everything is political proofed um, it seems to me that perhaps the media we may have been focused on what deal was being done uh, between Leo Varadkar and Shane Ross and, and how the next uh, government would work when 
and perhaps we should have been looking at what was being mopped up between Shane Ross um, and Andy Kenny in terms of the deal done in the last government. One of the things, Brendan Keenan, that every minister that's had a microphone put onto them said, oh, but the credentials of Maura Whelan are so superb that we have to waive all these procedures. Could I put it to you that in her tenure in AG over the last six years, she had to um, resile from a leaflet in the children's referendum which was rejected by a Supreme Court judgment, that the terms of the inquiry in Sitesurf, which she drafted, were found to be inadequate, and that most especially, and most especially, and maybe this will suggest the reason why Enda is joined at the hip, if we go back to the Fenley report, they went into some detail about the evidence she gave. And and I just quote one particular part of the Fenley thing that she she had said this oh my god people are going to be sprung from jail be these tape recorded conversations in Garda stations this is what this is what uh, uh, Fenley said about her the commission respects the fact that the attorney in a carefully considered written submission has now modified her evidence and expressed regret for any contrary impression created it accepts her qualification over evidence as far as it goes however the judge went on to say he appears to favour her first account it it's inescapable, Fenley found, I quote, that the Attorney General presented an alarming picture to the meeting to such an extent that the Taoiseach was, as he says himself, shocked. This, these credentials, I put it to you, are all that they're not being uh, put. You're changing the question, <clears throat> which is what everybody who's been interviewed by the media has done. I mean, it's the infuriating thing about being a journalist and I'm only a listener now. You know, you ask them, why did you abandon all the procedures which have existed since 1997 or whatever it was, you know, and do this? And the answer from everybody, including the most respected politicians, you know, like, like, like Charlie Flanagan, is Maura Whelan is a brilliant lawyer. Well, that's not what they were asked. And, you know, it would be easy to say, well, actually, the problem here is she's not good enough. She shouldn't get the job. That, that as we all know around this table, is not the problem. And I think, personally, I mean, obviously, I'm surrounded by three people who spend a lot of their working lives and waking days on this stuff, and I don't... The word you said is stupidity, right? If Mara Whelan knew that two high court judges or whatever it was had applied, how could she be so stupid as to treat them like a couple of people looking to have their council house doors fixed? Supplicants, right? They won't forgive that. And the judiciary won't forgive that, whether she gets the job or not, especially if she gets the job. That's point one. If Faradkar knew that uh, this had happened, how could he be so stupid not to see what it was going to do to him 48 hours later? And my own personal view as a voter, and I know Irish politicians tend to think that voters can always be bought off and they'd say, you're not typical, and they suppose maybe I'm not. But in my book, any hopes that Leo Varadkar had to present himself as a new kind of Irish politics are already gone. He has blown them away in 24 hours. Uh, and if he didn't know that, that these other names were there, then he had every opportunity to say, nobody told me this, cancel the whole thing. So as Neve and Stephen said, you can't get answers, which makes us think they did know. But then how could they all be so stupid?
So where do we go from here is the question. Uh, the, the issues, Stephen, are firstly, how far do you think Fianna Fáil will push it? I, I honestly can't get my head around. I was listening to Pascal Donoghue uh, from Europe, from Brussels on lunchtime on Friday, saying, no, we're circling the wagons here, we're defending this. And I said, uh-oh, there's, there's a, an error of judgment. Instead of saying, well, actually, you know, this was Enda's stroke. Uh, actually, we didn't get time to think about this. Actually, could you get more to come over to the Taoiseach's office and we'll have a little chat about this uh, or, or even to reopen the procedure and say look she might end up being appointed but we want to go through a different set of procedures the new AG will look at it and so on or you can rescind it two questions how far do you think Fianna Fáil or Ross you know will push it and secondly do you think that Leo will actually reflect on this well on the first one I think Fianna Fáil are clearly uh, going to make political capital out of it and they're making political capital out of it because of the own goal so they have a chance to do that. Is that just mischief making or do you think they'll bring down the government? I don't think they will bring down the government but uh, so it, they, they, they will but they will try and get maximum embarrassment so they have Leo Varadkar a new Taoiseach in place uh, and this is a chance to embarrass them and they will do it they'll drag it out I think for as long as they can uh, and keep this issue going as long as they can I doubt very much if they'll bring down the government uh, because I don't think uh, it, that, that's the issue they'll go to the country on but who knows I mean th- th- this thing has spun out of control uh, very early on as you say the other ministers not just Leo Radker Pascal Donoghue uh, they have stuck solidly behind Maura Whelan behind the appointment uh, it's very difficult at this stage to see how they can suddenly reverse engines uh, and I don't think they will uh, maybe Maura Whelan uh, herself will consider what she should do I think that is probably the only way out for the government at this stage but um I think certainly I don't I don't see Fianna Fáil doing it and Shane Ross I don't think I don't see Shane Ross putting out a government as a result of this either but let's come back to the Shane Ross thing and I'd be interested in, in more expert opinions I can't see a sequence of events that would connect those things that would not be a political conspiracy if there's a connection between the step aside Garda station and the appointment then somebody somewhere made that connection Shane Ross is not a position. Oh, Enda Kenny, in my opinion. Well, okay, Enda Kenny, but that's you know that's 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 a political conspiracy of the worst kind. No, it's just normal that's politics. politics. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way we do business. That is, that, that is exactly what Leo and them all will be thinking. This doesn't matter. And if it doesn't matter, then this country will no, not going to change. The modus operandi. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. I, think, I give you something, you give me something. I think this is politics. I've just been reading Tip O'Neill's wonderful memoirs. Uh, I hadn't read them before. They published a long time ago. And it's in full of all these things. I mean, that's the way politics happens in America. Mm-hmm. Well, before Trump. You scratch in the my north, back. Yeah. You scratch my back. You do something for me, I do something for you. And mm-hmm. we want to keep the government going. So I don't sense a huge conspiracy there. But I could, it's a political misjudgment. And, and it's a political misjudgment both for, uh, for, the, for the Fine Gael government and a political misjudgment by Ross. And it's a political antithesis of what him and the Independent Alliance came into government promising and, and elected, to do. Uh, were elected to do. Um, I suppose with Shane Ross, you have to wonder um, exactly what does he want out of this whole process? He has been promised that his legislation on judicial appointments mm. is going to be fast-tracked before the summer. I think that would be difficult to do because that bill hasn't even been published yet. Um, but, uh, you know, exactly how many of these appointments is he going to let go before he kind of gets what he wants? So he, he is actually, in a way, being kind of played for a fool as well. They've allowed a lot of these what appointments to What do you think will made. happen, Eve, this week? I find it hard like to see. Like what's happened on previous issues, whether it was Noreen O'Sullivan or, you know, how we voted on the mm. UN thing over uh, Saudi and so on, is it just kind of fizzles out. Do you think this will fizzle well, out? Well, good faith and no surprises is the line that Fianna Fáil are relying on heavily in the confidence and supply agreement to kind of 
claim that this is an issue that they're going to find difficult. I suppose that really relates to policy matters. It doesn't really relate to appointments. And as Leo Varadkar says in the Sunday Independent this morning, you know, we can't run everything past you that we do uh, in the business of day-to-day government. Um, I suppose with Fianna Fáil, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. Do the public really care that much about judges and judiciary? It's, it's not exactly a bread and butter issue for them and their backbenchers. And how do you do it? You know, how do you force the government's hand on this one? Uh, the other question is, I mean, how important is Maura Whelan to the government now? There's a new AG in place. You know, I, I suppose the, the, the fact that uh, she may be kind of politically expendable could be helpful to them. Um, but what is it that she knows or, or that they're afraid of coming out that they, they I suppose, they they want to ensure that she's sort of happily uh, uh, sent to another job elsewhere. Well, you guys I don't could maybe know. tell me something. Was it always the case, or did somebody set a precedent that the Attorney General, which is a political appointment, pure and simple, and rightly so, uh, at the end of a government gets a big promotion? Well, the Attorney General in the past, uh, various Carola Dawling was Attorney General mm. to Fall. He became a Supreme Court judge. Tony Hederman, John Murray was Attorney it's General to Fall. Uh, yeah. So it ha- Declan Costello was Attorney General to Gale. Down the this was. The it's a bit position. historic, though. It's, it's a bit, but you're right, it's, it's a bit historic. Since the ni- mid-1990s, when they brought in this whole new procedures, judicial appointments, uh, advisory commission, uh, it, it, it is, uh, it, it, then things have changed a bit. Uh, but the other thing about it, come back to Shane Ross, Shane Ross has made one of his big political uh, input into this government is to change the way judges are appointed. This is what he's hanging his hat on, uh, much to the annoyance of the judiciary, who are fur- furious because they're going to have a lay chairman. The judges are going to be appointed by, by, by lay people, not by the government or not by the other judges. So it's, it is ironic that he is caught in the middle of a row over the appointment of a judge. My panellists this morning, Stephen Collins, Brendan Keenan and Neve Lyons. Well, tomorrow the formal negotiations start between the EU <coughs> Commission and Britain in relation to Brexit. This morning, the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK, of course, went missing during the election or was heading away. Philip Hammond has been speaking to Andrew Marr on the BBC about the Brexit negotiations starting. We're leaving the EU, uh, and because we're leaving the EU, we will be leaving the single market. And, by the way, we'll be leaving the customs union. The question is not whether we're leaving the customs union. The question is, what do we put in its place in order to deliver the objectives which the Prime Minister set out in the Lancaster House speech of having no hard land border in Ireland and enabling British goods to flow freely backwards and forwards across the border uh, with and the you, European And you Union. know that a lot of business in the city and elsewhere across British business is really, really worried about this issue yes. and fears a sharp cliff edge. Yes, and that is the issue. Uh, when I talk about a, a Brexit that supports British jobs, British investment, British business, uh, I mean a Brexit that avoids those cliff edges, that ensures that we, we segue seamlessly from the customs union that we're in at the moment to a new arrangement in the future that will continue to allow British goods to flow, not just without tariffs, because actually tariffs are a relatively small part of the problem. It's without delays and bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. It's it's the delay and bureaucracy interfering with just-in-time supply chains, with the flow of fresh produce. We import huge amounts of fresh produce from the European Union. Uh, We've got to make sure that our border continues to work seamlessly, and that's probably the number one challenge for business. Philip Hammond there. Brendan Keenan, uh, there was some hope that uh, with the result of the British election, with the DUP being in the whip-hand position for a supply and confidence deal, that there might be some softening of Brexit. It didn't sound so soft there. What's your assessment? That's unbelievable. That's my assessment. Unbelievable. I mean, what Philip Hammond has just said is impossible. 
You might as well say he's about to sprout wings and fly to Brussels. What are they at? And you immediately start thinking he fancies himself for Theresa May's job and he's covering his options. And, of course, one of the problems in this, like everything has changed with the British general election, one of the problems is that politics will now take precedence over everything else, and, and that's not good. Um, but, you know, it's... You, I think it's there's there's an opinion poll now saying that 65% of, of the British public wants a soft Brexit. Um, the only way to get that is to stay in the customs union. And there's absolutely no reason that I can think of to restate now that that's not negotiable. So every time that you kind of, especially after election, you think you're going to get a second chance, they, they, they go and, and do this. But from the Irish perspective... Um, <clears throat> Britain staying in the customs union is the only realistic way of solving our, our problems, and it solves most of our problems. They won't stay in the single market, and they certainly won't stay in the EU. So it's still, I think, the Irish government's job to persuade uh, uh, Europeans to rescue Ireland from British stupidity. Not an easy task, but that's all we can do. And I think, going back, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, a bit more, the most powerful card we have there, because not that we can't threaten to leave or anything like that, is uh, the north-south approach. And, you know, and we really <coughs> have to get into bed with the DUP, whether we want to or not. And they want to get into bed with Dublin, even though they don't fancy the prospects much either, because our interests coincide. They have coincided in a way that northern and southern interests have never coincided since partition. And politicians in Dublin, in my opinion, have been slower to recognize that than the DUP in Belfast, who saw this quite a way. And I really get irritated that everybody talks about the fact that they voted to leave. That was a kind of an emotional, religious response. Uh, if they thought for a moment that the bloody thing was going to be carried, they wouldn't have done any such thing. They're not Remainer leavers. They're not Brexiteers. But, you know, we, we, this, you know, I, I just say I thought we might have been able to make common ground with the UK. It now sounds like they're going to be all over the shop. So the other thing that we've got to face is that the Europeans reasonably might say, look, the only way out of this is to clear them out of the whole lot lock, stock and barrel. If they don't want a customs union, neither do we. Uh, leave them to it. And Ireland, as we know, would be the main uh, uh, sufferer. So I'm you know, kind of less optimistic than I was <laughs> before I heard that interview. Uh, and, but I knew that, this, that the whole thing had got kind of terribly confused. So I think, you know, the Ireland still concentrates on what it's been doing. We've been doing a very good job diplomatically. In my opinion, a very bad job on the north-south dimension pull that together now properly and go for it. Okay, developing that theme, um, the windfall situation that the DUP find themselves in uh, post uh, the general election results whereby they effectively hold the balance of power. Uh, we're expecting that a deal will be agreed between the DUP and the Tories. Um, you've written about this, Stephen, and uh, Owen Harris Ryan today about the ridiculous notion that we demonise the DUP just when we have them as a card to play. Well, what's your assessment of, of how the DUP might be able to ameliorate the worst effects of a hard Brexit for us? Well, I think the DUP want uh, to remain in the customs union. They want the UK to remain in the customs union. And clearly, as Brendan has said, that would solve the problems north and south. We wouldn't have the hard border. The only way to avoid the return of a hard border is to remain in the customs union. But, it's, uh, but listening to Philip Hammond, uh, it is quite depressing, unless he is speaking in code and he's saying, uh, uh, you know, at one level he's saying a bit like Boris Johnson, we want our cake and eat it. He's saying... Frictionless. 
he's saying we are going to leave the customs union, but he wants to remain in a, in a, in a, some form of thing, which is the same. He as wants the to trade, but he wants <laughs> he, to be. But, and he, wants, he wants to be in the customs union and out of it at the same time. Mm. I don't see uh, the Europeans uh, playing very uh, facilitating all of this. I think Europe has done a good job. Barnier, I think, is a very formidable negotiator. Uh, they, unlike the British, have prepared step by step. How they're how they're going to deal with this? They do uh, recognise that Ireland. I think this was an achievement by Enda Kenny uh, that Ireland is up there as one of their top three priorities to try and ensure that there isn't a hard border. But that can only happen if the British agree. So the, the DUP, as a force, as having those ten seats and keeping the Tories in power. Are, have a leverage uh, to try and push towards a softer Brexit. With the Scottish Tories, again, they want a softer Brexit. There is a, a, a midstream in the Tory party. Uh, but the, the, the British Conservatives have got themselves into such an appalling mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how, if they can actually talk them out of it. I think you could very well see the British government collapsing uh, in, in the autumn. Um, it's, it's really hard to see how they're going to deal with all of this. We do uh, need to be careful. I think uh, we, we have tried to form alliances with countries like uh, like uh, the Dutch, uh, the Danes, uh, who have very big trading uh, interests with, with the and UK as well. And they're quite Eurosceptic in the round. Uh, and also with the, with the, the Germans, who are the, the other groups who want to keep the British in. The French, I think, uh, the French don't care if the British leave. And I think Macron has actually said uh, Britain has been a roadblock towards further integration in Europe. The, the fact that the UK is gone, it means full steam ahead for the Franco-German Europe. Uh, that doesn't really suit us. But uh, we, we, we can't be making excuses for the British, particularly as they don't even know what they're doing. Uh, so I think we've got to focus tightly. We've got to have good relations with the DUP. So if we can, instead of demonising the DUP uh, about issues that don't really have any great relevance to us, uh, Arlene Foster had a meeting with Dio Varadkar. The two apparently get on quite well. Uh, so I think it would be important to try and, through the DUP, to influence what the British government is going to do. Niamh, um is the DUP a real card that we can deploy? Because there seems to be signs that the EU, over recent weeks, uh, while all the kerfuffle is going on in the UK, have hardened their position. Mm. Uh, I, I heard that Barnier going into the talks tomorrow is now minded to say, well, actually, the most important issue for the EU is to create a deterrent, that if anyone else becomes so Eurosceptic as to want to leave Alcatraz, uh, that they'll be punished. Yeah, it's kind of been the theme all along that no one can be seen to do better having left um, I, I'm surprised at Philip Hammond's comments there because I think there there had been a more conciliatory vibe kind of briefed across the British papers this morning. There's talk that when David Davis meets Michel Barnier tomorrow, he's going to agree um, to the preferred sequence on the EU side and that's dealing with those three issues first, the 100 billion or so settlement and um, the Irish border um, and the status of EU citizens, citizens in Britain. Um, so uh, it seems that on the June 22nd summit, that would be Leo Varadkar's first summit as leader um, and a big one for Theresa May this coming Thursday in Brussels, she's going to go in um, and and guarantee the rights of migrants in Britain and and kind of do something uh, to sort of soften the ground a little bit over there because it is seen that, uh, you know, on the EU side, they are are kind of ready and willing to do a deal and want to get there, whereas on the British side, they're they're sort of still dibbling and dabbling about whether this is a soft, a hard, a clean or whatever kind of Brexit. Um, In relation to the question you asked about the DUP, I think it's interesting that the two Fine Gael leaders, uh, one of whom is now Taoiseach and one of whom is now Foreign Affairs Minister, during their campaign made a huge deal about Irish unity. 
And that's not something that's, that's uh, you know, uh, preaching to the choir of the DUP. Um, now, neither of them, by the way, could answer the question as to how much money we should obviously be putting aside between here and whenever that takes place. Leo Radker uh, is sort of one of the John Hume consensus builders. He doesn't agree with a border poll. He doesn't want a 50 plus one type result. Um, but if that's something in the ether now that, you know, there is this very clear, strong view that perhaps in the generation of both these men that this will happen and that could be an early fly in the ointment. I suppose from a broader perspective, uh, now Simon Coveney has this kind of mandate as well um, of having to try and restore power sharing up in Northern Ireland. So could he be sort of on a collision course in one perspective with this group who Leo Varadkar, on the other hand, is going to have to kind of mould to sort of see our position on the border? That's going to be a tricky one. Uh, Brendan, uh, with your kind of business coverage background, what's your assessment of the state of readiness of corporate Ireland, SME Ireland, for for Brexit? There's there's a piece in the Sunday uh, Independent Business section where a number of CEO top twenty CEOs are giving their views. I, I've I've you know acted as MC a number of conferences, and the thing that struck me as shocking about Brexit was. You, you, the, the Brits come over, whether it's food and beverages or whether it's it's whatever product sector, and they they say, well, actually, when it comes to the detail, no one in Whitehall can give them any answers. And you know, listening to Philip Hammond, to me, it seems they haven't the foggiest clue of the end game for Britain of this. What, what do you think is the current state of readiness here? Well, I mean, you've, you've you've hit the nail on the head, as you said. There's 20 CEOs from all over the place uh, interviewed in that Sunday Independent special. Um, you know, preparations are expensive. And what do you do when they might not be necessary? Um, if they end up in the customs union or even Philip Hammond's dream of something that's like the customs union but is called something else, then you don't have to do that much preparing at all. Uh, if they don't, uh, then, you know, you have to do, in many cases, very radical things. Just to take, you know, one example, um, Board Gosh Aaron, uh, who's their chief executive, and I've written it down here, never mind, come to me a minute. You know, we don't know whether the single energy market uh, on this island is going to continue or come to an end. So what do you prepare for? Uh, so um, I think... That is absolutely critical. I mean, for both aviation, electricity, yeah. gas, yeah. there is, you know, a common yeah. regime I think here. myself, don't forget, I mean, you know, there, there ha- will have to be, no matter what people say, a, a transitional arrangement. Mm. If, if I were a company boss, and I, God knows I'd probably be useless, I just wouldn't invest uh, a lot of money yet preparing for doomsday. Uh, I'd, I'd wait on, uh, until it's pretty clear. And then you might have five or six years transitional to get, get, to get ready for it, if you could. Uh, so that is, I mean, that's, that's the difficulty, the, the real thing, which is, 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 is the uncertainty. Um, and everybody's got a different uh, problem. I mean, John Teeling, I thought, is worth mentioning from that survey because he's not just a businessman, he's a you know, brain box and a great strategist. Uh, he takes the view that Brexit is only the start of the dissolution of the European Union. So mm. how do you prepare for that? But you don't discard, disregard John Teeling's views. On the other hand, he's in the Irish whiskey business. It's going to be wonderful if Scotch has got a tariff and Irish doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> on, on, he doesn't have to prepare. On, on, the, on the changing of the guard uh, with, with Leo, I'd be interested in, Neve, in your opinion, Stephen's mm. opinion. Um, the changes were described as underwhelming, as minimalist. But one of the changes was uh, to take Charlie Flanagan out and to put Simon Coveney in. Now, I can see why Simon 
Coveney wanted to dodge the the bullet that is his promises on homelessness that were ready to haunt him. But do you detect? I mean, like end like people have criticised new politics the past year paralysis, no legislation a lethargy, but the one thing that Enda set about himself was getting this prioritisation of the diplomatic campaign in relation to Brexit as uh, you know, Stephen said, with some success of getting it in the communique where, where do you think Leo stands in relation to foreign affairs, in relation to Northern Ireland, in relation to, to, to Europe, because also Enda made some signals about a border poll, mm-hmm. about concerns of the co-guarantor ro- role under the Good Friday Agreement, which all sounded quite green, which, you know, do you think there'll be a change with Leo there? I, well, as I said, Leo Varadkar made a point of, you know, talking about the idea of unity as being a possibility in his lifetime during his campaign. Um, I suppose, what is it, Ivan, you tell me about blue shirts and Northern Ireland? Why is it that you've just never been able to kind of click in and really speak the language? I mean, it's so clear for so long and, and really things have, have, have gone very badly over, over Enda Ken- Kenny's tenure in particular up in the north. The wheels have really come, come off. I often kind of describe it like the talks in Northern Ireland, like kind of dressing a five-year-old. You kind of have to put the shoe on and then you have to put the other shoe on. No, don't take that shoe off. We've already put that one on. Like, there's no way, um, unless you decide to devote all of your time up to those talks that you're ever going to reach a satisfactory agreement. And now with an emboldened Sinn Féin, uh, it seems even more difficult. And I suppose the other element to it is if you know, down the line, we are talking about this kind of great unified Ireland. Um, you know, is that is that actually what people want without a border poll, if that's what uh, Leo Varadkar is suggesting? I suppose with Simon Coveney, will he be any different to Charlie Flanagan in that regard? Well, I mean, he's got a fairly big job with Brexit. So as I say, how much time does he actually have uh, to devote to talks in Northern Ireland? I mean, James Brokenshire appears to have given an absolute deadline in relation uh, to later this month. Um, there's not a lot of time there to get the Brexit stuff that we need done. And it's all reaching a very important point towards the end of this month and to get the stuff done in Northern Ireland. I think the talk of United Ireland is complete nonsense. It's not going to happen. They know it's not going to happen. And it's counterproductive. And it's counterproductive. Uh, Leo Varadkar, at least, is not, a, not in favour of a border poll. Fine Gael's subtitle is the United Ireland Party. Mm. But that's, it, 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 it doesn't mean anything. Um, well, Garrett but, but, but changed I, that. Garrett changed, you know, the consent of a million oh, unionists was the core value the core, that, that's, the whole point, that's the whole point. The Good Friday Agreement is about the consent of the people. The, the important thing is not to force people into United Ireland. Mm. The important thing is to get the two communities in Northern Ireland t- t- some way to live together. But to come back to Leo, I think Leo Varadkar showed a lot of weakness by giving Simon, Simon Coveney this Brexit role. And the, the Taoiseach's department has been running the show because the Taoiseach's department needs to run the show. The European Council, where all the Prime Ministers meet, that's where big decisions are made. That's where Barnier gets his negotiating uh, uh, position from. Uh, given Simon Coveney, I don't know what role Simon Coveney is going to take because the, the, the civil servants who are running the show are in the Taoiseach's department. Uh, Foreign Affairs can do the diplomacy. Maybe Simon Coveney in the Brexit can talk to the British and, and try and iron out and see what, what they actually want about customs unions. So I think it'll be an Anglo-Irish uh, side of it for Brexit rather than any wider European but, thing but, for Simon could, could I put it to you that really the last two years were about a four elections whereby the DUP and Sinn Féin mm dominated and obliterated SDLP, UUP. Now that we've reached that point and we're all electioned out of it up there, surely 
the government now are going to catch a lucky break because Sinn Féin and DUP are going to do a deal, set up the more, executive, and, you know, that's More than likely. I think they probably will because I think Sinn Féin, and maybe this, Sinn Féin wanted to wipe out the SDLP by raising the border poll issue. Of course, they also had the DUP, but maybe Sinn Féin don't mind that. So they have the two tribes are now represented by the two parties who are kind of locked in. They, they, they have, the feeling is that they, they, they will do a deal uh, by, before the end of the month. And you're, at a, least, you're a Belfast boy, Brendan. Yeah, I am indeed. I am indeed. And um, I don't know what baggage you have. Yeah, I have every kind of baggage. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the balanced Ulster man with a chip on each shoulder, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think one of the problems all along is that the Taoiseach's department kind of got too much involved in Northern Ireland, right? And neglected it. Uh, at the expense of foreign affairs. And I agree with Stephen, I made the situation worse. Uh, foreign affairs should be the primary technical department for Northern Ireland mm. uh, and, and the Taoiseach's office should be doing Brexit. And this business of eliminating the two tribes, right? The two governments are responsible for that. The DUP and Sinn Féin saw the opportunity to make a change in the, in the agreement which would mean that any time you voted for a smaller party, you risked having somebody from the other tribe become first minister. And they both saw that they could finish off the official unionists and the SDLP. And as usual, the two governments are, don't pay no attention to Northern Ireland when there isn't a crisis. And uh, they signed off on that. And that's done long-lasting permanent damage to the Northern Ireland project. Neve is right, the wheels have been coming off. Because Northern Ireland, like Belgium or Canada or Switzerland, is a permanent problem. Mm. There isn't a solution. Mm. There isn't an answer. There is continuous care. And, and, and that's something we've got to learn. But just as an aside, like it's fascinating how politics work. A purely technical uh, and very sensible thing, that if one day the people of Northern Ireland voted in a border poll, how that would affect EU legislation, right? It suddenly is transformed into the notion that they have voted that way in the border poll or are about to, purely technical. But it did a lot of political damage and just shows you how these things, uh, how these things happen. But, you know, they, there is an opportunity now. Uh, Sinn Féin clearly look extremely glum because they know any DUP deal, politics being politics, there's going to be a lot of money in it and the money is going to be exactly. channeled for DUP constituencies. So they need to get back inside the tent and start mm. peeing out. Yeah. Oh. And I think they will. But then Dublin in particular has got to reorganise its Northern Ireland approach, realise mm. this is a permanent business it requires constant attention by a high team of civil servants and think strategically about this. I could spend another three hours with my panel, but I've only five minutes left with Neve Lyons, uh, Brendan Keenan and Stephen Collins. Let's start with you, Neve. Quick around the house. Uh, the junior ministers, yeah, a lot done. of pent up demand in the backbenchers. <clears throat> Leo promised regime change. Who do you think will be appointed um, and maybe at whose expense in the junior ministers? It's hard to see really because he failed to kind of stamp his authority on his cabinet. And one of the big criticisms of the Taoiseach and uh, Kenny the last time the, the, these ranks were reshuffled was the lack of a gender balance. Um, and that's something that didn't seem to concern uh, the current Taoiseach in his current reshuffle and it may not the next time round. You could look, I suppose, this, the Simon Coveney loyalists, the likes of Damien English, who ran his leadership campaign, the likes of Marcella Cork and Kennedy, um, you know, are they going to immediately get a demotion? I think Damien English could be safe. Um, the, the likes of Marcella Cork and Kennedy perhaps would be sacrificed for um, another woman, someone like Josepha Madigan, um, who's a very strong supporter. She nominated the Taoiseach uh, during the week. 
Um, there's John Paul Phelan John Paul Phelan is definitely expected to get John something DC? the DC's the Darcy's the Deering's uh, uh, the Jim Daly real so hardcore loyalists all these guys who were sort of down uh, around the Cork, kind of Cork southwest, uh, southeast area of the country definitely expected to get something um, and certainly dotted around uh, the, the western coastline as well you'd certainly be looking to see Patrick O'Donovan staying on um, and those type but I've mentioned a lot of men there as I said I, you know there aren't you know, the prospects of, of, of another kind of outcry about the lack of gender balance is, is definitely there. Uh, let's go from, from grubby politics to the high statesmanship. Helma Cole passed away in the last few days. You were writing about it. Just bring us back to yesteryear. Well, I'm going back to 1990, 1989, 1990, when the Berlin Wall came down and Helmut Kohl saw this as a historic opportunity to bring Germany together to unite Germany. There were severe doubts. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was Prime Minister in England and François Mitterrand in France. They saw United Germany as a potential threat uh, and they weren't too keen on it. They wanted to slow it down. But we had the Irish presidency of the EU in the first half of 1990 and Charles Hawhey put it on the agenda, facilitated Kohl, gave Kohl everything he wanted and through that process it got uh, German unity came about much more quickly than the British or the French wanted but Cole uh, never forgot that he spoke in the Dáil a few years later in 1996 he addressed the two houses of the Oireachtas and he said Germany would never forget what Ireland had done and I was extrapolating when Albert Reynolds went over to negotiate uh, an EU deal in 1992 and said he wanted uh, 7 billion or 9 billion everybody laughed and had a chance 2 or 3 billion he actually got a package worth 9 billion uh, and I'm convinced that Helmut, Helmut Kohl delivered that was the payback time for Ireland and our our motorways, the infrastructural development that we had in the 1990s, I think uh, is directly linked to the fact that we took that Charlie Hawhey took that line uh, in favour of German unity and facilitated so, it. So Charlie said you can have your wall as long as we can get our M50. But no, Charlie didn't even mention the Charlie <laughs> just wanted the wall down. Charlie wanted to do it because he, when he, he believed in Irish unity, he believed in German unity. He also wanted to, to he was in favour of coal because he wasn't, because uh, Thatcher was opposed. That, that I think was part of Charlie's thing. But I think what I'm saying is that coal, it wasn't actually a deal as such uh, we facilitated German unity, but the Germans, I think, did uh, f- f- uh, reciprocate uh, by, by underpinning the, the, that, that big package. Uh, and it's it's still mentioned a few years ago, uh, in 2010, uh, the German foreign minister again said Germany would never forget what Ireland had done. Fascinating uh, trip down memory lane and very insightful. Uh, Brendan, um, I, I've been <coughs> waxing on any opportunity I get that the biggest domestic problem in the intray of the new Taoiseach is housing because I actually think the evictions are going to get worse as people escape the rent cap by saying I'm going to break your lease. Uh, we had Peter McVerry, Michael O'Flynn saying look actually max of rebuilding Ireland is 15,000 houses a year maybe 30,000 short. Michael McDool is on today about a first generation who will never know home ownership. Um, do you think Owen Murphy will make a difference? What's your take on housing? Well, it'll take a lot more than Owen Murphy or any minister to make a difference. And, I mean, another couple of years have now gone by uh, with nothing happening. And, you know, if you really have really radical policies, uh, you might get there in five years' time. If you don't, you won't get there at all. Uh, Because, I mean, there's three areas, you know, that need really radical solutions. The first one is zoning and permissions, providing the land, land permitted. Second is finance. (coughs) the money to build these things, right? The banking, the Irish banking system may not be up to it. The government's constrained by EU rules and its desire to spend more current money and so forth. And the third one is the capacity of the industry. And all of those three will require things to be done which aren't actually on the agenda. 
Uh, so uh, that's why you know one 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 is very pessimistic uh, about this. And um, yeah, so the, the housing minister has got to sort of produce a really radical plan to which everybody will say that's impossible. Mm. And it can't be afforded, to which he will say, well, if you don't do that, you won't get the houses. And then we have to make our choices, you know. And, and, I, I think and, and one Pascal of the, one of the choices the is issue. that we do with less tax cuts and less spending mm-hmm. uh, on, 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 on health and welfare and all the rest of it uh, to spend on actually providing enough houses. It doesn't, they're not all government houses, mm-hmm. but, but I'm talking about how the financing uh, to get this thing. And, but the thing is, it has to be done quickly. Well, speaking of quickly, time has escaped us. Uh, My thanks to Irish Times political columnist and author Stephen Collins, business columnist with the Irish Independent Brendan Keenan and political editor with the now hard copy of the Times Ireland edition, Neve Lyons. Thank you all. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.